This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 18. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And over on the left channel, we have Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? I assume you're on the left channel. I don't know. I'm, I'm usually on the right channel. You're on the left channel. Jonathan's right down the middle. But uh, I don't know if people even notice that this show is in stereo. Glorious stereo. We've always recorded in stereo, folks. Well, not always, but I guess, you know, this show we have, definitely. So if you're not enjoying us in stereo with your headphones on, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. You're doing our podcast you're, wrong. You're, you're listening wrong. So please listen correctly. Alrighty, speaking of listening correctly, let's do some fact check. Um, so last week I was talking about the uh, Tom Baker Doctor Who, the genesis of the Dalek was the episode I was speaking about. It was actually season 12, episode 11. So they don't do like one show, one storyline per season. They do stories in three or four episodes. And they are, in fact, 24 minutes long because they would have been 30 minutes with commercials. And I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if it's still like that. Maybe some of our UK friends can, can let us know. But they used to show a TV show and then they would show the commercials at the end, as opposed to what we do in North America, which is like, throw them in the middle of a plot line, you know. Um, the Muppet guy I referred to, of course, is Davros, which, you know, people who are, you know, can... You know, we've had to go and buy new phones because they threw them out the window. Um, he is the creator of the Dalek. And uh, he, I think he's in, I can't remember if he's in the, if we saw him in uh, the battles with Jodie Whittaker. Do you, do you recall seeing a dude named Davros, Jaime? Like a he's sort of half Dalek, half, it's kind of like Christopher Pike with the little wheelchair thing. Mm -hmm. The bottom half of him is a Dalek. Um, Does it ring a bell? No, it's not ringing a bell, but uh, it's not to say it didn't happen. Okay. Well, anyway, to, to wrap that up, the Genesis of the Dalek was actually told in six parts. So, so that would have been like equivalent of two hours long, I guess, right? All righty. Uh, speaking of the strike, I know we were just talking about that in the headlines, right? Uh, we have our our friend, Michelle Hurd. I saw a couple of a couple of tweets by Michelle Hurd last week uh, at, talking about the strike and talking about residual checks and... Um, really interesting little clip here of her speaking about, you know, the importance of the strike for actors such as herself. And I think Jonathan and I were talking about it on the weekend. I think she was probably in like three episodes this season, this last season of Picard, even though she's been in this show for all three seasons. The way it works is for actors like her, uh, they get, uh, they get called in, they have to sort of make themselves available for six months, you know, for, for reshoots. Um, they may get put onto a show and they may have to wait like uh, six months or a year or two before the show that they recorded actually airs, um, at which point they'll get their residual checks. I don't know if you saw some of the other debate about residual checks this week. Even Den Denise Crosby posted one. Uh, I forget she was in a show last year, Black something. Um, anyway, uh, she was showing that she got four, four uh, checks, four residuals for an episode she did last year, she ended up getting $21, right? And um, I think that one of the, the ladies that was a voice on, she was in Orange is a New Black, and she was talking about um, uh, how she was, she's actually one of the voice uh, actors in um, one of the shows we watched. And of course, I'm drawing a blank on it. 
but she was saying that uh you know you might get like nine hundred dollars a day to to be in these shows, which sounds like a lot of money, but you know when you take when you take the government tech taxes you as if that's your regular you know twenty six weeks a year uh check so they they tax you at a high rate, so you might pay fifty five percent tax so at which point it comes down to like four hundred and fifty dollars, and then you have to pay your lawyer and your publicist and your agent. And by the time all said and done, that's how you end up with a fat $21, $22 kind of check kind of thing. So you're not supporting the strike. This is what they're they're all complaining about is not only is it is it hard with, I think the challenges with streaming is that, uh, you know, the contract the actors are working under was written in the 60s. There was no such thing as streaming. They didn't, there's no, there's been no updates to the contract. And, uh, you know, when they get, put into these shows, the Netflixes and the Amazons or whatever, like the recording industry is suffering through, you know, with with um, Spotify and things like that, the, the percentages these guys make is just not enough to live on, you know. So next time your cab driver is Nathan Fillion or maybe not him, but, <laughs> you know, uh, Michelle Hurd, you know, is your Uber driver. That may be why, right? Yeah, it really speaks to the idea that maybe it shouldn't be about, and I'm, you know, I'm not an actor, so I don't know the right thing here, but if it's, they went from, you know, nine months of work and now they have a lot fewer months of work, it sounds like, well, really what they should be paid for is the value and not the time, right? Because the time has dramatically shifted for things that are completely outside of their control. Yeah, there's a pretty big, uh, there's a pretty big difference nowadays that they're doing these, you know, four episodes, six episode, eight episode seasons, as opposed to the 22, 24, 26 episode seasons that we used to get in the past. It's certainly one thing on the job security front, but uh, yeah, I mean, they won't even do revenue sharing based on performance. That's one of the grievances that the actors uh, and the writers have is that, you know, if a show performs really well, they deserve to be compensated more and they're like no no it should you should be compensated based on the work you did and that's it and so it, it can be really tricky to to figure out like what's the best way to to you know to compensate people in this day and age you know as you as you say is is it's you know do you get paid for the you know hours that you do it do you get power you know like it's it's not exactly the old world and you know I don't know what the long-term vision of this is. If they're going to basically drive, uh, you know, some people to barely be able to scrape out a living doing this, it's going to discourage a lot of people from wanting to do this. And then the quality of the product suffers. So I'm not sure what the long game is here. Um, you know, maybe it's drive them all out of the business and just, you know, animate them. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, well, the other thing too is that Michelle heard, and this is one thing that we don't realize as consumers of this content is that, you know, like an actor's life is, you know, auditioning for this and auditioning for that. And, and, you know, they work for a bit and then they're, they're looking for work. And then she puts it in one of the tweets I saw last week, an actor's job is looking for work. That's what they, they primarily are doing. Right. In fact, you remember Ilsa, our, our good friend Ilsa from mm. back in the day, um, she went to Hollywood after university and thought she would give it a go. And she just, it was the worst experience of her life. And that's why she came back and she just stopped acting. Like she just got right out of the whole business. She's been in a few movies and she was in a few plays and stuff like that, but she just, she just gave up on it. Like it was just, it was too heart wrenching for her. 
Yeah, so, no, I mean, shame. it does take a very thick skin, I think, to uh, to be able to do that. And also just, you know, like, to be constantly rejected like that's got to do something to your uh, self-esteem, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah, I mean, even I was listening to some some interviews by Jennifer Lawrence. Apparently, she, she would go up against, you know, not up against, but she would be in the same auditions with Emma Stone and other, other uh, girls like her, like who have the same look and... They all kind of knew each other from, like you see on the, some, sometimes you see it on TV shows where you walk into a room and it's like everybody looks the same, right, kind of thing. Um, but that's, that's just the nature of the work. And it's not until you, you are lucky enough to get to the point where you become a Jennifer Lawrence or you become an Emma Stone. That, and that's like a very rare percentage of, of actors who do that, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so following up on last week, we were talking about, I was talking about, I mean, this, it had just happened before we started recording that the actors joined the writer's strike uh, SAG uh, act. After right, um, Christopher and Oppen- the cast of Oppenheimer walked out of the uh, the UK opening um, because the you know the, sort of the call to join the strike had come at the time that they were they were in the UK. And uh, on that same note, Christopher Nolan has uh, commented that he is not going to be working on. Uh, any new development during in, in support of the strike like in the you know he's not i'm and he's a writer too right like he he and his brother write all this all of his movies right but mm-hmm. he's not going to be entertaining any any uh prospects or or uh, asks anybody asking him to work on new stuff until this is resolved so it's good yeah. to see him supporting that also, he needs a break because he just made like this massive movie that's about to come out next week. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's it's a six hundred pound movie. It's really you know seven, it's eleven miles of, of film. He to, like, it must be hard to carry that around to all these premieres. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, Jonathan, you're up next with another story about the strike. Yeah, sort of. I think well, we, we this is obviously going to be a big part of the world that we uh, are associated with by this podcast. In that, yeah, it's an unavoidable when you have no writers and you have no actors, you have no productions, and so therefore a lot of things are going to get delayed. However, there's uh, a story from io9 that a number of productions that are based internationally are actually going to still be able to continue, given that they are not part of the same unions, and so therefore they they can continue. So uh, there's a spinoff series related to Dune that is going to be uh, airing theoretically down the road on uh, Max called Dune the Sisterhood and apparently that has uh, just been able to continue because it's filming overseas filming over in uh, Budapest and it is uh, apparently not going to be inhibited by any of this stuff Um and, you know, the other thing they have going for them is that, you know, yes, there are sort of, you know, well-known actors who are uh, American and, and uh, from other countries in these productions. They may want to do a sympathy, you know, I don't want to work while my colleagues and friends are, are picketing. Uh, they don't have a choice. If they have a contract, if they don't go, they can be sued for breach of contract. So interesting sort of side note that you know we do have a lot of doom and gloom there is a lot of well you know a lot of the things that we love have been you know pushed to the side we got news that uh, we talked all about deadpool 3 last week deadpool 3 has been put on the uh, hiatus because no actors no filming um but there are some things out there that are that are still still happening so uh, it's not going to be a complete absence of content but i yeah i think it's going to go from a what's been pretty much a fire hose the last couple of years between all the streaming services to uh, maybe a more of a slow faucet. Yeah, and and Carol mentioned the other day that she was reading that uh, some Canadian productions are still going because, again, different unions and stuff like that. Um, 
But I also heard TIFF, you know, the, the Toronto International Film Festival, which comes up in September. The tickets go on sale pretty soon. And, of course, during the strike, which sounds like it's going to go till October, I think you were saying. I mean, that's um, the and, speculation. A lot of different places are, are saying that, that it's unrealistic to expect it to come back before the fall. So, Right. Yeah, so that said, uh, for Toronto International Film Festival, one of the big draws of that is is the American stars coming up and walking the red carpet. Um, so that they're obviously not going to be coming for that, and that's going to change the tone of the of the uh, film festival as well. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that. I had that in my uh, sneak preview for the watch list, but uh, there's San Diego Comic Con this weekend, and that has been pretty dramatically impacted by the absence of celebrities because no celebrities, no panels, no panels, no movies. A lot of the studios oh, really? pulled out. Oh. So yeah, so we'll uh, stay tuned, kids. We'll we'll get around to that uh, in a few minutes. Um, in the meantime, let's uh, let's jump over to uh, some some better news for uh, comic and TV fans. So I mentioned, uh, I think a few episodes back, there was a bit of a uh, kerfuffle in the last couple of months as uh, Marvel Comics uh, killed off. Spoiler, 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 spoilers. Uh, killed off. Ms. Marvel. Should they should they pause now? Should they should they pause? Okay, sorry. <laughs> they killed off Ms. Marvel, the same character uh, Kamala Khan that is a, you know popular in the TV show. She was killed off in Amazing Spider-Man number twenty six recently. Uh, that was uh, I think a month and a half ago. And uh, there's a special issue. Oh, you mean a out. comic book I don't read? She she was killed off. She in. was. Um, although again, Amazing Spider-Man, one of the number one selling comics in the world. So you know. It's there. Shame um, on me. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They uh, killed off this character. Uh, no, the joke in comic books is no comic book death is ever permanent, uh, with the exception of uh, Uncle Ben. That's pretty much the only one that's stood the test of time. And, uh, you know, even then they've brought back, you know, every character you can think of. So it was a bit of a surprise that they have announced a new Ms. Marvel comic book this week, uh, given that she's dead, but she'll be back and apparently back very soon. And the biggest surprise is who's going to be writing that book. It's actually going to be written by Iman Vellani, who played uh, Kamala Khan in the Ms. Marvel series on Disney+, Plus, who is also from uh, here in the uh, GTA. So... Yeah, so this is, uh, it's it's weird, you know, again, I've, I've certainly dealt with this as a comic fan for, for most of my life, kill character, character's gone away for a while, eventually character comes back, you know, Superman, Captain America, you know, name the character, they've all lived and died, and, and that's part of the deal. Um, usually you get a little bit of time where you, you absence makes the heart grow fonder, and then they bring the character back, um, but apparently this book is coming out in the very near future, it's coming out this year. Uh, the book is um what are they calling it it's it's called Ms Marvel but it's Ms Marvel colon Ms Marvel colon the new mutant and apparently she's going to be affiliated with the X-Men oh cool cool so i have a really important question though mm-hmm. um has captain canuck ever been killed off Ooh, that's a good one. I must admit, uh, as much as i have respect for richard comley and um and captain canuck i do not keep up with it, so I could not say. I they see. did kill okay. uh, the lead, the lead uh, leader of Alpha Flight, the Canadian superhero team in Marvel Comics, was a character named mm-hmm. the Guardian, and uh, the Guardian was uh, has been killed multiple times and brought back to life multiple times. So, 
Okay. Does he does he stand on guard for thee? Is that what he does? That's 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 <laughs> what he does. As a matter of fact, yes, he does. <laughs> All right. Speaking of messes. Uh, speaking of messes. So good story uh, that came out this week from The Hollywood Reporter about the uh, Aquaman sequel. The fact that, uh, you know, we, we knew that this was going to be an interesting one, given that it has the um, uh, ignominious distinction of being the last of the current DCEU movies, uh, sort of pre-Superman Legacy reboot, James Gunn, the whole nine yards that we've been talking about. Uh, you know, they are doing this huge reboot of the DC universe. And in this case, how do you land that plane? And it sounds like it's been a real challenge. So this this piece goes into great detail, talks all about all the challenges and just, you know, the circumstances changing. Apparently, they have been just trying to pound this movie into shape so that it makes sense for, for an ending point and also whatever comes next. Uh, apparently, they, they've now done three rounds of reshoots, all directed by James Wan, the, the director who's, again, Fast and Furious and, and uh, you know, very well-respected director. Um it's, it's, as the story points out here, this is an almost unprecedented number, even for a movie of the scale, to do three sets of uh, of reshoots. And apparently, as amidst these these reshoots, uh, they've gone through you know a whole bunch of you know script changes, trying to figure out how to fit these different things in. They were gonna do a version with uh, with Ben Affleck as Batman, and then they did a version with Michael Keaton as Batman, and so because uh, they, now they're coming out of the repercussions of what happened in the flash movie and uh yeah so it's uh it's a good piece i highly recommend it we'll have it in our show notes and give it a look it's actually quite quite a decent length story that, that really kind of gets into the meat of it but safe to say it sounds like this movie is gonna be a bit of a um uh a work in progress for the short term we'll see how it, it lands in the end but uh yeah apparently Blue Beetle got two additional days of reshoots, and they've had three rounds of them. So just to give a little perspective on what they're trying to do here, it sounds like, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought the first Aquaman was fine. It, it was entertaining. Uh, I like Jason Momoa. I think he's very charming. But uh, this this sounds like, you know... This is this sounds like the exact reason why I stayed away from DC movies the last couple of years, which is to say, <laughs> I don't want to get involved in something this complicated. Yeah, well, I think the Big Bang Theory had it right. Nobody wants to be Aquaman, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, so. Um, you guys haven't seen Shazam: Fists of Fury yet, have you? Uh, Fury of the Gods. No. Yeah, she just did that one. Yeah. I've um, not. It's on Max, uh, but I've not gotten around to that. In my yeah, list. it's on Crave. Same okay. thing. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is, so is that, is that incarnation of Shazam going w away with all this stuff too? They have not explicitly said. I think okay. the well, expectation is, is, uh, as they are rewriting and getting rid of sort of all the previous actors that, 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 that will probably also go. Okay, I don't want to spoil it for you because it's just a, such a fine movie. Actually, I did enjoy it. I shouldn't say um, there there is a tie-in, which is why I was curious, like how the, how they're going to resolve that. That's a pretty funny tie-in too. Yeah, I know there, yeah, there's been uh, cameos at towards the ends of some of these movies that are sort sort of foreshadowing things that I don't know how that's going to all end. So yeah, it'll be yeah, interesting. True, true, cool. All right. 
Uh, and the last thing I've got here is a uh, story that came out of uh, rollingstone.com this week that uh, I wanted to raise. It does tie into our world because uh, this person is a uh, composer of a lot of film scores that we have enjoyed over the years. So Danny Elfman, the composer, uh, it was revealed this week by Rolling Stone that he apparently uh, settled out of court a large-scale sexual harassment allegation um, made by a fellow composer, female composer, that uh, she claimed that he was... Um, uh, uh, pleasuring himself in her presence on multiple occasions and he did not want this to come out so he settled for $830,000 settlement uh, to keep this off the books apparently this has now come to light so he's issued a statement saying you know I basically I didn't want my career being besmirched so I thought it would be easier just to pay the money and make this go away but I didn't actually do anything wrong and now that this has all come out I intend to fight it vigorously um, of course Elfman we know him from composing so many things, uh, especially things related to working with um, uh, things like Batman, things like you know, Edward Scissorhands, so many of these you know classic films from the '90s and 2000s. Uh, you know, obviously, you uh, hate to hear about these kinds of things. Um, but you know uh it's it's a very very murky thing it just came out uh in the last couple of days so obviously it will uh it'll have a bit of legs over the next little while um but yeah it's um good piece from rolling stone getting into all the details if you're so inclined to go there uh you know it's a he said she said but something tells me if you're going to pay to make something go away that you're you're on the back foot so this is not looking good for uh somebody whose work we've really enjoyed and obviously very disappointed to hear about these allegations yes i'm looking at um the the, the list of movies it's like charlie and chocolate factory nightmare yeah. before christmas men in black lots of simpsons yep well, i guess he's been reused in this mm -hmm. i guess right yep um what else stands out a few, few that were here I mean, it goes all the way back, like, it goes quite quite a ways back, too, even before yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, Danny Elfman's 70, and he's been compo oh, yeah. composing for years, and he was in a rock band before that, and so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is you know, uh, a, a prominent, prominent musician, musical creator, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty messed up, again, um, you know. We always talk about the struggle, right? The how do we separate the art from the artist? Um, you know, it, it's not good. It's really not good. All right. What do you got for us, Jaime? Some cheery, cheery news for us, Jaime? <laughs> yeah, we bookended these uh, quite well here. So on a more positive note, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will appear on Disney Plus August 2nd. So a couple, uh, couple weeks from now. Um, I've got a bunch of stories here that, that I've been collecting over the week, and uh, I, I ended up just putting them all together into one block so we can just talk about it all at once. Um, we're, yes, I'm back on the Barbie bandwagon along with Oppenheimer. Um, it's interesting, like the first piece here is that, uh, um, I don't remember who said this, but uh, Oppenheimer has been called the uh, best and most important film of the century, and it was by, oh, Paul Schrader, who, um, now I'm drawing a blank. He. <sighs> What did he just recently do? Something I watched by him. Um, yeah, but anyway, just, oh, Taxi Driver. Um, I just actually watched that a couple of nights ago. I haven't seen that in, since it was in the theaters. Um, 
but yeah, he's a, a very prominent writer in Hollywood, and and uh, he's that's his sort of review of it. And um, the first bit of uh, interesting news about the thing I was joking about the six hundred pound, eleven mile long film. Um, uh, Xavier, the number one fan, XPK, the uh, the Wonder Kid, um, bought tickets for Jonathan and myself to see uh, the seventy millimeter IMAX cut uh, in uh, in one of the theaters in Mississauga, and. Um, Unfortunately, I can't go on Monday because I'm going to be in Chicago. But uh, and it turns out there is no theater playing this in anywhere near Chicago. Actually, there is three hours south at Indiana State uh, University. Apparently, they're playing or museum. They're playing the uh, they have the the 70 millimeter ability to show this. Apparently, it's only being shown in 30 cinemas worldwide, and that's because um, normally IMAX film is. You know, it's done on 70 millimeter stock and they turn the image sideways and it's, I don't know, it's not quite four by three, but I'm sure Xavier will correct me, but um, it's, you know, it, it's sort of a squarish f- uh, format as opposed to long and wide, which is like 70 millimeter format. Um, and they they turn the, the image sideways so they have more actual film grain for film media to work with, like to get a better, higher resolution film or picture. And, but in this case, it's the 70 millimeter aspect ratio turned on its side so that, um, it ends up using more film and, and has a larger projection area on the substrate so that you get a much higher quality, uh, image, uh, projected onto the screen. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it's only, I guess, because of the, 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 only certain theaters can handle this because they have the projection and uh yeah so if you if you haven't got a ticket to see and it's only for a short time i'm not sure if it's like a week or two but um that's going to be an interesting thing so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna probably go see it on saturday on in regular boring old you know format because <laughs> there aren't many tickets available right now and uh the next sort of story on this that we were talking about the last couple of weeks was the fact that they're calling it barbie barber Barbenheimer now because you know it's the a lot of people are going to do a double feature of Barbie and Oppenheimer or Oppenheimer and Barbie and uh depending on that order your experience of the film might be different and that's going to be like a 5 hour experience because Oppenheimer I think is close to 3 hours if not over and uh Barbie's got to be a couple of hours long um but looking at the numbers of pre-sales um uh, barbie is uh, i heard uh, I, despite what it says in this article i heard this afternoon that um oppenheimer is sitting around 58 million uh for the weekend so far and uh, barbie is looking at around 100 over 150 so three times the sales of tickets on on the barbie version of this these two movies and looking at the the, the show times here at least in toronto um it appears, I mean, notwithstanding the fact that uh, Barbie's not in IMAX, right? So there are a lot of showings of Barbie uh, as opposed to uh, very few showings of um, of uh, uh, Oppenheimer. However, though, I did, I did add them up in one theater, and it's like 11 to 15 in terms of number of showings. So it's not quite so lopsided, but... But I mean, and not surprising, we've talked about this before, that, that Oppenheimer isn't quite as appro- approachable as... as uh, um, the, sorry, Barbie's not is uh, not as approachable as as the uh, Oppenheimer movie, or sorry, the other way around. Oppenheimer Oppenheimer's not as approachable to the Barbie type crowd or audience or whatever, right? Yeah, I think there's. It's definitely going to be. Uh, um, I don't know. The question is, what's what do you want to see first? Do you want to see yeah. 
shiny, pink, happy, smiley, attractive people? Or do you want to see nuclear bombs uh, and angst first? Do you want to, like, bring yourself down and then back up? Do you want to bring yourself up and then, like, you know, have your third eye squeegeed from there? Like, what's what's the best way to go? Yeah, don't know. I mean, it's 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 interesting. I think it's a different experience, right? Mind mind you, um, in both cases, uh, thoughts of death are, are are in both stories, right? So, who knows? It's a Barbie world. <laughs> but in this last follow up story here, I just 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 saw this a little while ago, and and you know, I just my teeth are you know gritting together as I talk about this one. But Fox News, everybody's oh. favorite, you know, uh, news network Ooh. is. Uh, blaming barbie for projecting toxic femininity you know because it's emasculating men by you know making women seem empowered and notwithstanding wearing pink um yeah i just you know i mean you know the, the, one of the best comments i saw on uh, on twitter re- relate, related to this was oh wait a minute it's fox news um you know like <laughs> of course of course they're attacking uh attacking this but i mean the whole concept of like you know um like it, 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 this, you know, I've seen this in, in as a feminist. I've seen this over the years. And people are always, or there's always a debate as to, you know, if the, the pendulum swings too far over to the feminist side, the men are going to suffer. And then, you know, and but the pendulum always swings back and forth. It tends to always land on the male side. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I'm just, I just, I think it's comical that they would call this toxic femininity. <laughs> yeah and the moral of this story is don't watch fox, fox news news out there kids it's uh it's a tragedy yeah just sit back enjoy the movie come on it's just a, it's just a movie about a doll after all you know like mm-hmm. it's fun i mean you know hey speaking of fun <laughs> <laughs> i thought you two would love this story i had to i had to pull this one in here so uh there has been news this last couple of weeks that Disney is trying to uh, disassociate itself from certain of its assets. Uh, among that list, ESPN, that they think they could spin off into its own thing and maybe share ownership with, with another group or, or, uh, or someone else. Uh, they're talking about uh, maybe even getting rid of some of its television channels, including ABC, given the somewhat rapid decline of network television and cable. Uh, But the really interesting part is, and this is, I've seen this in a few different places. This one, I I grabbed the most reputable source I could find, which is Bloomberg.com, which is a reputable Mm -hmm. news source. And this uh, piece that we've got linked here speculates that there is a possibility that uh, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, might consider selling the whole shebang to apple mm-hmm. now before before you guys jump in and i know you're gonna have thoughts does it make sense and is it realistic or is this just something that people who write columns and stories would like you to think is possible well, I think we have talked about this on more than just code. In fact, just recently, because I mean, I, I don't know if you watched the keynote address on, especially the announcement of the new Vision Pro spatial computing platform that Apple has been. You know, everybody was anticipating, and Apple did in fact reveal at the at the conference. Disney took a big part of that um, display, saying that they would provide uh they would have you know movies and things like that converted over uh, to support this vision pro 
um, platform. Because one of the one of the things about Vision Pro is the the idea that you could you could put the headset on. Very, it looks very similar to the, like the headset you would have in, in um, Ready Player One, where you put the headset on and you could you can turn off your background, so it looks like you're sitting in a in a theater watching a movie, as opposed to actually being in a theater watching a movie, right? Um, and of course, I think I don't know if it was Bob Iger, Jaime, if you might remember, but um, somebody prominent from Disney came and talked about how they're they're looking forward to working with Apple on this platform. So that is an indication that they're talking to each other, right? Um, but Apple mm-hmm. does that. They invite they invite uh, in prominent third parties and developers and app game game makers to you know build things with uh, inside knowledge of of the of the stuff that they're working on. And very very few. It's a very exclusive uh, ask from Apple, so that when they do launch a product, they have you know things to do with it on on day one kind of thing, right? Um, We've also talked about the fact that the Vision Pro, just on that, to finish off on that, is a, is a very expensive platform for the average consumer. We don't think we, I mean, more than just code myself, uh, Mark and Jaime, don't think that it's something the average consumer is going to jump on. It's going to be early adopter kind of thing. And it's going to be very limited because of the manufacturing. But so we've talked about the possibility and, you know, and we've talked, even on this show, I think we've talked about the fat stacks of cash that, that Apple apparently has and that they could afford to buy something like Disney. Does it make sense to me as a business? Um, I'm going to go way out on a limb and make a projection about Apple, which I, I very rarely do. But um, <laughs> and being facetious, folks, but because I've been wrong more than times than I can t- tell you. But um, I I don't think it makes sense. But because I think Apple uh, is focusing. Well, mind you, they're focusing on services. They're focusing on experience. They're focusing on. Uh, they I mean, they're a hardware manufacturer under the hood, right? So. Um, you know, it's a possibility, but I I don't think so. What do you think, Jaime? Yeah, I kind of wonder how realistic it would be to buy sort of like the entire thing, but I could see them taking big chunks that Disney might not be all that interested in, right? That might make a little bit more sense there. Um, yeah, not like the Disney worlds and stuff like that, but maybe some of the content, right? Yeah, yeah. Some of the content that, you know, as so many of these companies like Max started out with and Paramount Plus has continued, they're like, well, do I really want to hang on to this thing? Is it worth paying the residuals and sort of vaguely related to the um, the the two strikes? But Apple seems to be like, yep, we will totally pay for that because it's way cheaper than having to have produced it in the first place. And we want to continue to draw content to our growing and burgeoning uh, streaming service. I could see that. Yeah, but by the same token, I've talked about this before that, I mean, Apple is the biggest phone manufacturer in the world, and they are, you know, the biggest company in the world with $3 trillion but market cap, but um, they're not the biggest computing platform in the world, right? So this doesn't help that side of the business, right? And and I mean, I think they've, they might have given up on trying to fight that battle against Windows and, and you know, all the all the devices out there that are running Windows, include that, right? Um like, you know, creative people and music people, we all look at and go, oh, Macs are great and stuff like that. But, you know, the thing about it, the reality is in terms of installed computers out there, um, Windows is still far and away. They're, they're, they're the Netflix of, I think I mentioned this last week, they're like the Netflix of uh, of the, the business. You know, it's really hard to compete with the installed base, right? But I, I, don't, I don't know that buying Disney gives Apple any kind of advantage in that other than other than puts them in a good place when it comes to streaming media, right? I don't know if they're really that concerned about it. 
That, that part would make sense. Uh, the, you know, some Hulu stuff could make sense. I could see uh, ESPN stuff making sense or some combination thereof. Right. Uh, just really depends on what Disney is willing to sell. Um, I don't think it will ultimately end up being the the main IP because they've they've got that whole merchandise, theme parks, content sort of flywheel effect going on. So I feel like it'll be more things like, well, do we really benefit from like the bear appearing in Hulu? Are we going to go sell the bear? you know, uh, toys and, and, is, and is the bear going to have characters running around our theme parks? Well, no, not really. So let Apple have that. Like that could make sense. Uh, kind of a similar thing for sports too. I think about Apple or Disney as, as, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and, and, uh, you know, Goofy and Minnie and Mickey. And I don't really, I don't have a perspective on the fact I, I lose track of the fact that they own I don't know what's on the menu. Like you mentioned ESPN and Hulu and Star, I know, is part of that too, right? But I don't know what all is on the table. ABC, yeah. I mean, it's a a free form. They own a lot, a lot of broadcast content. Uh, To me, what this whole story said and the thing that I took away from it the most is if Bob Iger is looking to get out of the the cable slash network television world, including something that is theoretically as profitable as ESPN, things will be changing a lot over the next decade. Like how we watch even things like that are like appointment television, like sports are fundamentally going to be different in the next decade than they are right now, let alone how they were 10 years ago. True. I mean, well, it it changed quite a bit when Rogers got the, the hockey and hockey night in Canada deal, right? Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. we still have hockey night on Saturday on CBC, but we don't have uh, like all the other, I mean, there's, there's tons of games on the network that Rogers owns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from that point of view of hockey. And and I think I mentioned last week that, you know, the, the, this is the first year I've not been able to watch the Tour de France because you have to have a specific subscription to a different network to watch that, right? Where it used to just be on, used to come with our healthcare, right? Um <laughs> But uh, didn't I mean it came with the uh, outdoor living network, which is part of our cable package. But um, yeah, so uh, it's an interesting thought exercise, I guess. You know, but again, you know, as Jaime and I know from talking about Apple for the last ten years, um, and even working with them even longer than that, um, you can't really guess what I, I mean. You can presum- you can surmise what Apple's going to do. You can look at some of the leaks that come out, but you really have no clue what Apple's going to actually do at the end of the day. Is that fair to say, Hami? Yeah, it's a really challenging thing. Because, like, look, the, the MLS thing kind of felt like it came out of nowhere, right? Like, it was, like, hint, like, hey, they might get the um, NFL Sunday ticket, which ultimately ended up going over to uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube TV. And, uh, and now, you know, Apple has this MLS thing that might give them a wedge to, what, include another sport maybe one one that's not quite as big a behemoth as um you know the nfl maybe and if you're somebody who owns espn and if disney's willing to to trade or barter or sell off espn then it might make it plausible for you to get something like the nhl or mlb i think the nba and um and the nfl are maybe a little too big to get without spending some serious cash but the other two leaks might be plausible now that you've got MLS leverage as a sort of a toehold as an industry. Well, they have, maple, they have baseball too, right? 
on Apple TV? Sort of. Or is that an experiment that ended? Sort of, I guess. It's like a very limited version. You're right. It's not It's not the same as the MLS pass that's like get everything all season sort of thing. Uh, which like right. NFL that's soccer, right? Is. Major League Soccer you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Sports yeah, ball. NFL. Sorry, sports ball. Yeah, and the NFL Sunday ticket is, you know, every game, every team sort of thing. So um, I think you're right that the the Friday night baseball and other stuff is a little bit of dipping their toes into that and maybe gives them some leverage to to bundle some of this stuff. So, again, that's where it might make sense of, like, hey, you know, the ESPN doesn't really help. Disney doesn't really have the same flywheel effect here in the modern streaming era, the modern social media era, as it once did in the cable era. Um, so maybe they might bundle that and sell it off to somebody like an Apple. Just a quick sidebar. I was talking to um, a gentleman who works for Crave uh, on their apps, and he was telling me that, because um, I asked him, I, said, I sort of said, like, hey, how come I can't, you know, when you, when you go into Apple TV and you've got your Netflix and you've got your Prime and you've got your Disney and you've got your Apple TV shows, when I go to the main menu on Apple, I can see, you know, what's in my, my you know, what's next coming kind of thing. And I can see the Disney, like I can see, in, you know, in, um, Secret Invasion. I can see the bear. I can see the shows that I'm watching on Apple TV and the t- across the top menu. Apparently there's part of the development SDK that you have to add to Apple TV so that the shows, your shows, like from Crave or whatever, will show up on that on that top menu. And that's why sometimes... I wondered why sometimes I see some Prime stuff, but I don't see some Crave stuff. And that that's the reason why is because of how it's connected and what account you're signed in with and a lot of other kind of stuff. But there is a there is an actual way that the developers can of those TV apps can make the stuff appear in that top row. He, he gave it a name, but I, I can't remember what it was. It's like top top row or something, something like that. Cool. And this is a story I just saw today in my... Uh, my, uh, what's this thing called? Uh, this app that I'm using called Artifact, um, which is kind of interesting. It learns your, your um, reading habits or kind of kind of sites you like to go to. So it kind of serves them up to you. But uh, YouTube has, YouTube Premium has quietly hiked the subscription price in the U.S. without announcing any kind of thing to, to folks. Um, I think it's gone up by $20 a year if you're on a yearly subscription. Uh, it went up uh, $2 from uh, $11.99 to $13.99. And it's only been in the U.S. It's not, has an effect, and, oh, sorry, it's only on new um, members at this point. And uh, just interesting that that's, you know, I think I think we're sort of seeing that all around, you know, the the minor increases over over the year because people are recovering from various, you know, kinds of downturns that we had through COVID and things like that. And I guess maybe there's a, a slowdown a bit in subscriptions or something. I'm not sure, but, or just cost of doing business, but just, yeah, just interesting that they slowly, silently introduce this price increase. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be what they're doing now, right? And a lot of these organizations are just looking at the bottom line and looking at the sub numbers and saying, Hey, you know, two extra per, two bucks per person is going to make a big bottom line difference. So let's go for it. Yeah, it's like it's like the terms and conditions in uh, in that uh, episode of Black Mirror. Like you know, you, you did read the terms and conditions, didn't you? <laughs> where where Annie uh, Annie's character gets uh, her life gets becomes a TV show on on the Netflix. Uh, yeah, and then one more thing, we talked about this off mic last week. I had seen that AMC had decided to start charging a premium price for 
the best seats in a theater, right? Like, you know, if you want to sit in the center dead on, uh, you would pay uh, an extra premium couple of bucks onto the ticket uh, to sit in those nicer seats, kind of like they do on airlines and stuff like that, right? Um, but uh, this was announced today that they have uh, decided to scrap that idea. Cause I, I mean, based on, you know, the conversations we've been having about the number of uh, people going to movies, I mean, Oppenheimer sold out. Yes, Barbie sold out. Uh, apparently, the uh, the Tom Cruise Exploderama didn't do quite as well as as anticipated. In fact, Indiana Jones had a better box office than the um, Impartial Mis- Impossible Mission movie. Um, What's it called? No, Mission Impossible. Um, yeah, the, it was an impossible mission for that one to kick uh, Indiana Jones off the off the pedestal, even though it was wasn't the first week for Indiana Jones. Um, yeah, so. I think that may be a reason why AMC has taken a look, taken a step back on this idea. It was kind of dumb, if you ask me. I mean, I, I'm, I think we just pay what we have to pay to see a movie. But I don't know if I would, you know, would you, would you? I mean, I don't like. I've never sat in those D box seats, which are a couple of bucks extra to get shooken around. And you know, I think they have smell, smell of vision on the 40x one, right? Mm-hmm. They spray you with water and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think the positioning was was wrong here. Like it feels abusive to be like hey the the best seat that costs more instead it should be those crappy seats in the front row that the article mentions those are like half <laughs> like that feels different like oh yeah it's kind of a crappy seat but uh, I, I could crane my neck here like i think that would have been the better approach to f- start filling up the the front rows that would normally be left alone for anything other than um you know premiere night packed house sort of thing yeah and I think I mentioned too when I when I saw Indiana Jones, I sat in the back row of an IMAX theater, and the theater was so deep that by I was so far away from the actual screen that it, it might as well just have been a regular projection, you know. Um, I mean, there's very few uh, Xavier and I were talking about this the other day. There's very few cinemas where the actual like in the case of IMAX, the screen is actually giant, like Scotiabank Theater here in Toronto. Uh, the uh, Cinesphere, which is now closed for const- reconstruction, I guess retrofitting. That one is another big uh, screen. I don't know what your what IMAXs you have in Seattle, Jaime, but just putting IMAX on it, just it's just the format, it's the the ratio and and the sound. I should say it's got you know the twenty one speakers or whatever it is, but um, it's not always a great value, you know. So I don't I don't know. I mean, as it is, like you know, I went and saw the I saw the you know the Indiana Jones and the. Uh, Mission Impossible in the same room, and I paid like $21 or whatever, but I might as well have just gone to see it on a regular screen for all that I got that much better experience out of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't understand. I, I don't understand. Recently, uh, Cineplex here in Canada added a booking fee, which is the biggest load of horse manure that I've heard in a while, uh, where basically they're charging you, on top of your ticket, they're charging you for the convenience of booking it online, like there's another way to do that nowadays. Um, it's just another cash grab, and it's it's in poor taste, in my opinion, to, to do that as well. well. You mean if I go to the theater and buy my ticket, like if, I, if it's like me and five other people sitting in a room, if I go to the theater and buy the ticket, I'd save money? 
I guess. I, I don't know if it's that or if it's basically for the privilege of having a specific seat choice that you get oh, to do that please. as opposed to not. Again, I, I cannot wait for the day that uh, people start buying the front row tickets and then moving back and then having ushers come in and go, can I see your ticket to see if this is in fact yeah. your spot in yeah. this empty theater? I mean, what nonsense are we getting into now? Yeah. Like, It's such a... You know, a difficult time to get people to go to the movies. Maybe just shut up and let people go to the movies. I get that you're hurting for money, but maybe, you know, th that's a fundamental flaw in the business. Like, figure out a different way to do that. Wow. And hey, how about this? Don't charge $22 to go see a movie and $50 for popcorn and a drink. Yeah. Okay, so now now you're now you have made me look at it. So yeah, here's an interesting thing. So this is my last ticket for what is this? Yeah, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning, twenty one dollars fifty cents. That's like I know it's like twenty five dollars US, Jaime, but um, twenty one dollars fifty one fifty cents, and then a dollar fifty booking fee. Oh, and then I got a scene plus discount, Jonathan, of fifty cents. Oh wow! And then I got to pay. Then I have to pay tax because you know we have to subsidize our healthcare. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so by the time you're done, I paid twenty three dollars and forty three cents for a twenty one dollar ticket. And again, oh, not nice to mention the fact that me. a twenty-one dollar ticket on its own is pretty steep. To it's go see pretty a movie. steep. I remember. Yeah, I would think if you asked me if you had asked me what I would pay for a movie, I would have thought, yeah, fifteen dollars, maybe twelve dollars. You know, I wouldn't have thought, oh my god, this, right? So, yeah, I mean, you know, two fifty Tuesdays are long gone. I was delighted when I yeah exactly. I was delighted when I um, did. They not do the Tuesday discount anymore. I think they do, I but I don't. Not, it's eh? certainly not two fifty. <laughs> Yeah, no, but uh, but uh, when I saw Indiana Jones uh, and the and uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, is what I saw. Um, I think the ticket was like nine bucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'll have two at that price, you know? <laughs> yeah. And again, it was me and five other people in the in the room. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, exactly. All righty. I think it's time to start talking about Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, season two, episode six, Lost in Translation. What do you guys think? Heck yeah. Heck yeah, heck yeah! All right, so, um, so what's your what's your elevator pitch, Jonathan? Oh, <laughs> this one was easy. <laughs> this is the easiest elevator pitch I might have ever had. Uh, we were talking about, you know, uh, this one. It's Uhura hears a who. Uhura oh, hears a who. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this whole episode is Horton hears a who, right? It's it totally is. It's Uhura hears a who. A what? A who? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's hundred percent. Yeah, what uh, what was yours, Jaime? Mine is not as good, so I wish I went first. Uh, so it would be on an upswing <laughs> instead of a downswing. So I wrote down, uh, you know, the Enterprise analyzes a gaseous star nursery, but Ohura is the only one with their head in the clouds. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I like that. I like Which that. sounds yeah, really like neat, that. but it's not Ohura hears a who <laughs> level yeah. of, of conciseness and awesomeness. Yeah. By yeah. the way, speaking of Star Trek tropes, you know, the, one of the things we I totally missed on last week, and I, we didn't talk about it, and, and I, I, I'm sorry that we missed it, but was the sort of the angle of the tech support call, Jaime, on uh, last week when Chapel and um, Uhura and uh, Ortega are talking to the cloud anomaly, um, and it's kind of like, you know, your problem is solved. Thank you. Hang up. Call, call, go away. Your problem is solved. You know, kind yeah. of like... like <laughs> that I think that was just priceless, right? So yeah, you want to just keep hitting zero and say yeah. representative, to a representative. Human representative, exactly, customer service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, this one at its root, you know, we were we were talking about how they've been sort of zipping through Trek tropes this season. And, you know, this is the one person's in on something that's happening and no one else is sure what they're seeing is real. You know, it's, it's again, it's a time-honored uh, Trek trope, but done really well in this case. You know, they, they did a really nice job of, uh, of, you know, taking that trope and really kind of running with it uh, in, in this context. And, and I like the fact that they didn't just focus on the, um, that storyline. They were still, they were touching on, you know, the, the Jim Kirk and Laon thing. They brought that around. There was a little bit of the Spock and Chapel. Like they kind of pulled all these threads together through the episode too. So yeah, of course this was the overarching plot, but like, it felt like a real glue episode too, where it was kind of bringing some stories forward. And so if you didn't really, if you were like, okay, it's clearly that's that noise. Somebody's trying to get to her, whatever. Again, you know, I think mm-hmm. truck fans recognized pretty quickly what was happening. It still made it enjoyable all across the board. It was a good episode. It was not the best episode of the season, but it was really enjoyable. And I thought Celia Rose Gooding as, as Uhura was, was really good. I thought she did a great job in this one. Yeah, there was a lot of. I mean, there was the there was the two Kirk brother con, you know, conflict com- conversation. There was the uh, interesting that Uhura is the one that introduces in the in, in this particular timeline introduces Kirk and Spock. This is the first time we saw Kirk and Spock kind of meet each other, right? I mean, mm-hmm. James Kirk. Um, and and again, uh, Spock also cleaning up after. Uh, after George, is it George? Sam Kirk, after Sam Kirk, like, like, yeah. you know, he picks up his cup and gives it to the waiter and says, annoying, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Again, good pickup from last the, episode, right? Well, yeah, I mean, the only reason I know that is because they, they showed it in the in the preview, right? Um, which, I, you know, I don't always watch. But yeah, so there was a lot of that good stuff. And then the, the banter between um, Una and... Um, Pelia, yeah. Uh, Car- Pelia, Karen Kane's character. I love the I love the accent that Karen Kane is doing because I mean it's 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 so believable that that is her her actual voice but it's not you know yeah well, uh, Carol, which is Carol great. Kane's got a really good um uh um affinity for that again she she did the the evil witch and being you know, on Princess Bride and stuff like that she's she likes to trot out the the silly voices and stuff and she's she's staying consistent at least yeah hundred percent yeah cool. Yeah, so there was a lot of lot of back and forth too, as as in in this in this story, and and I like the idea that the the psychological. I mean, like, you know, we had the one where Kirk is in the in the space suit and he gets stuck in the transporter buffer and he's floating around and people can see him, but you know, because there was an episode I think Ohura sees him floating into her into her cabin in the in the original series. So there's a lot of that. There's the episode where Yoshi nobody can see Yoshi kind mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. um, and she's the one with Jordy and Roe. Yeah, like yeah. There's- yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of these sort of transporter accents, but I like the fact that so because when they showed Hammer, right, and and they used Hammer as a sort of as a sort of metaphor for how these ideas are getting into Orhora's head, and it wasn't until Mbega tells her that you're you're experiencing what you're, it's your subconscious or or the your brain is becoming the universal translator by using. Um, images like the, the people are communicating you through images from your own brain because, and that would be the death of Hammer and and how distressed he looks and at the you know and and the resolution he looks all fine and he gives her a wink and a smile kind of thing you know at the end it wasn't like you know you're kind of thinking wait is Hammer coming back you know um, did he somehow survive that thing like how is he now way across the universe in this this 
cloud and you know is it one of these tropes where they're going to bring back a character like you know there's going to be two rikers now and two boilers you know like um but yeah no they just i like the fact that they used the psychological angle of of um and then Uhura, that's where she sort of figures out that's what's going on right in her own head right Speaking of which, the uh, the best pew pew pew. There was a couple of little action bits in there, but I, I like the Ohura versus Ohura scene. I always like it when they try and do an actor fighting themselves, um, and I, I like that the 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 punchline, pardon the pun, of that is she wakes up from her delusion and she's smacked James Kirk in the face. Mm. <laughs> my my pew 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 was was the banter back and forth between Una and Pelea. I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. They, they did have that uh, uh, the master and the student kind of thing, right? And and now the now the student is the boss. That was like the B line, or maybe the C storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I like that uh, they, they brought that one back to you. Gave me a C, so I'm mad at you. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because you're wondering, you're wondering, like, like, because she does say to her, "What is your problem with me?" Right at one point, Pelia says that to Una, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and we'll get into that in the uh, the quotes because that was a great quote. My pew 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 um, was sort of a tie between the the literal pew 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 of destroying the station and the weirdly unnecessary sequence. So credit to the the folks who wanted to try this. Of uh, I'm going to call him Razor Ramon for reasons. Uh, exploding <laughs> out of the, <laughs> after he was you know kind of going nuts from the the aliens talking to him. Like they not only show him explode out, but then we pan the camera to sort of follow him icing up is a, an interesting choice for your your budget. So oh, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, tip of the hat weird, for yeah. the, the attempt there. Yeah, I, I had yeah. that in my big question. Was it really necessary to spend the CGI budget on the slow motion death of Lieutenant Ramon as opposed to, I don't know, like any number of other things? Yeah, 100%. They, 100%. they like had dollars left over to spend because the sort of final unnecessary, I'm not saying it was a bad shot, but the final unnecessary shot of CGI was, you know, Uhura at the, uh, at the controls and you can see like the station and clouds still kind of crumbling and dealing in the background. I'm like, that's realistic. That's cool. But like, you could have just shown us a wall or a really tight close up or something to to save your dollars. So I, I feel like they had budget to spend. Like somebody said, if your budget's less, the next year you get less. I hate to say it, but they probably could have spent that on residual checks. Yes. Right. Amen. Right. <laughs> Sorry, folks, but yeah. The Easter egg for this one is the is the running theme, right? It's it's the first contacts. Kirk gets to meet all these people who are going to be so important in his life, right? He gets to meet Ahura for the first time. At the end, he gets to meet Spock for the first time, and then he actually meets Pike in the middle there too, right? So. Well, no, he met he met Pike last year, didn't he? No, because Pike introduces himself. So, oh, did he? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. So I, I guess not. Huh? Yeah, there was some um, some minor news about this is the first time that this is prime timeline Kirk for this actor. So he's been alternate reality Kirk in the um, Balance of oh, Terror alternate reality. He was Tirana, Tirana, Tirana uh, alternate reality Kirk, and now he's for realsy Kirk. Um, but didn't we see Kirk this last year, last season? He, he, I don't, I think it was all alternate reality stuff. And like the closest thing you could say is the, the little video chat that uh, Lon does with him after she comes back this season from, uh, 
the the Toronto timeline. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna check that while we're talking. Yeah, no, he was in season one, episode ten, Quality of Mercy. So he was in Toronto, Toronto, Tr- Toronto, Toronto, Toronto. Sorry, his name of our episode. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. 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 And he was in this one today, and then he, but he was also in the Quality of Mercy last season, season one, episode ten, which I thought was the alternate timeline, though, right? Of like, what is it? What if Pike was still captain of the Enterprise when Balance oh, of Terror yeah, occurred? Oh right. yeah, you're right, one hundred percent. Yeah, okay, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So this is the first. Technically, it's the second time because in that tomorrow, 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 at the end, we see real Kirk. Right on the video screen talking to Laan. That's really Kirk. It's the same Kirk we just saw this week. It's just we never saw him in the flesh, right? But so Anson Mount as Pike has met this has met a Kirk because or James Kirk because he's he knew like he met him last because that was all in his alternate timeline. But he remembered those events, right? Isn't he meant to remember that stuff, Pike? Yeah, but quality he would think so. He still but... would not have met really met this version of yeah kirk, not right? the real guy yeah so yeah this kirk wouldn't have known that he had met pike but pike would know that he had met kirk is what i'm going with that right in oh, the same my sense brain, my precious brain <laughs> there will be a test later folks yes. yeah no kidding <laughs> some say time travel and alternate dimensions make these shows confusing but i'm fine <laughs> yes let me go re- let me go eject the warp car <laughs> I mean, do you have any more uh, Easter eggs? I, I wrote the same thing around, uh, you know, Sam and uh, James Kirk. Uh, they, they mentioned their father, George Kirk, um, from the Calvinist stuff. They, um, the meeting of Uhura, Kirk, and Spock, which nicely worked out as a primary color, red, yellow, blue sort of thing, especially with how vibrant these uniforms are in this iteration. So, yeah. Very minor. Have Easter they mentioned the. Have they mentioned the Universal Translator before? I know that they had the anomalies they were talking to last year, right? Last season. Yeah, I think they've had had it for a while. Because at one point earlier this season, they say something about the Universal Translators being implanted. Oh, and not working and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think it was the episode where they go down to the planet where they forget. That was two weeks ago or last week. They mentioned that. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. Get some quotes. Uh, I got a quote. Okay, what's your quote? quote? Uh, I lost my quote. No, my quote's from the next show. Um... <laughs> we'll save that one for the next show then. Yeah, I I, uh, I flagged a few. So uh, when Ortegas uh, gets the order to uh, go collect deuterium, deuterium in the uh, nebula, rip some donuts to the to the gas cloud. Aye, sir. Um, I typically don't base my decision-making off feelings and smells, says Una to uh, Pelia. I thought that was a funny line as the two of them start their little sort of uh, bickering feud. Uh, I think your nightmare visions are turning you into a sadist, says Kirk, after uh, getting punched in the face by Uhura. Uh, this is the lo- this is the one from Una to, uh, to Pelia. You're sloppy, okay? You don't respect protocols. You're too loose with discipline. You don't follow orders unless you feel like it. And you have crumbs on your uniform. When did you even eat? You're like a space hippie. <laughs> yeah. Space hippie is a great line. And then, uh, yeah, Kirk's last line, uh, invisible aliens are using your brain as a universal translator. That also could have been the summation of this episode. True. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, good episode. Again, they, they're continuing a hot streak. They're, they're still putting out good ones. And next week, I think, is the crossover with uh, our favorite Lower Deckers. Ooh. 
Ooh. That's right. They did show the the preview on the the ready room. So yeah. I got to see uh, Boimler. I got to see Huey. Huey. I forget the actor's real name. But Huey as uh, as Boimler, the uh, physical version of Boimler. The guy from the boys. Boys, you know that guy. Mm-hmm. He's the son of uh, Melanie Griffin and uh, that guy. <laughs> his name is Jack Ray, Quaid. Randy... His dad. Quaid, you was yeah. a Quaid. His Dennis Quaid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and his mother. His mo- I don't know who's his mom. His mother is. I think it's Melanie Griffith. Oh, hang on. Like his parents are are actors, are both famous, you know, eighties actors. Jack okay. Quaid, right? Yeah, yeah, Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. Oh, Meg Ryan. Yes, we do. Meg Ryan. Yes, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was close. Melly Griffiths, Meg Ryan. You know, they probably went to the same auditions. We talked about that before. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> they used to compete with Jennifer Lawrence and, and Emma Stone for and Emma Stone, roles. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Yep. Do you think we'll see more, much more of Kirk in in Strange New Worlds? It feels like he's kind of encroaching yeah i mean without running into the prequel problem it's interesting too that he's like a lieutenant at this age right or this phase well, they, of the make, thing, they make cause... a point of saying that here right that he's the youngest uh first officer is gonna be the youngest first officer in starfleet history beating the record that was set by his dad and you know that's kind of part of the feud that he has with with sam right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so in this timeline wait a minute i'm getting confused now in this timeline, is his dad Christopher Chris Hemsworth who died in the big accident with? Because his father does die in space, right? Giving well, his mother gives birth to him, right? In that story, or uh, that's or the was story. He really born in, in that's the was... Kelvin storyline. In in uh, in the other one, he's he's, yeah. he's born in Ohio, right? Or Iowa, rather. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was in Iowa. Hmm. Yeah, not so only he's USS not a USS Iowa. Beastie Boy Iowa. fan. He's not a Beastie Boy fan, then I guess. <laughs> well, no, because in the in his main timeline story, he grows up on Earth and um, and then travels around with his his dad in Starfleet, right? Yeah, because the other dude said he was born in space, right? Last week. I wonder if he's the Kelvin timeline Kirk. Oh no, he can't be because that's Christopher my brain, Pine, my right? Brain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's Christopher Pine. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Take that back. Take that. Yeah, back. Yeah, if it helps. Um... In the tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow timeline, because, you know, Earth hadn't gotten to the right spot and everything, like, uh, without the um, the eugenics wars, World War Three stuff, because of Khan, then that Kirk was born on the USS Iowa, so he was a space person, whereas prime timeline Kirk is from Iowa, the state, on the planet Earth, so... That probably needs to go into uh, like a Wikipedia entry somewhere to clarify. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Cool. All right. That's good. I forgot my big Kirk question, my big uh, Pike question. So my here's my question about about the episode. So when they're when you know Ramon runs away, right? All of a sudden, all of the staff from the Enterprise disappears, and Pike has to take a gun and go looking for this guy. Doesn't he have people for that? <laughs> well, you don't want to delegate all your responsibilities, right? Yeah, I mean, like again, you know, it's that whole alpha alpha team does all the work kind of thing. And then, wouldn't you think that if the guy turned off the lights, that they would have some sort of backup system to turn them back on again? Yeah, it seems strange that you could open up one panel and deactivate all the lights in an area, right? Yeah, on the entire ship, it seems right. So yeah. And then, you know, of course, they tell O'Hara to, to wait till we get there, and she goes ahead and opens the Jeffrey tube anyway. 
It's funny because the episode is the the sea arc, as as Jaime put it, is about uh, Una and not liking Pelia for disobeying orders and being, you know, mm-hmm. her own person. It's like, but also, what about everyone else who keeps disobeying orders? <laughs> yeah, and the prime directive, and 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 yeah, yeah, and Una, you know, at the beginning of the season. Hello. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Anyway, anything else we can say about this before we move on to the secret invasion? Nope. I think we're ready for for a secret invasion. Yeah. No, you took my crumbs comment. All right. So space hippie. Space hippie. All right. Time to move on to secret invasion season one, episode five. I just realized I'm probably not going to see episode six. (gasps) Uh, Harvest. Oh, it's on Wednesday night, right? Yeah. No. Yeah. It comes out first thing Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, I got distracted by Wednesday. I'll talk about that in my in the watch list. But uh, yeah, cool. So my my elevator pitch is actually one of the one of the uh, quotes. Um, Who the hell isn't a scroll these days? Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> As said by Olivia Coleman. What's yours? I had. Uh, oh wait wait wait, got... wait 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 wait. Jaime, what's your oh, pi- what's oh, your pitch? Oh, sorry, Jaime, yeah, go first this time. <laughs> my, mine's not going to be as good. I, I, I can feel it in my bones because I wrote, uh, it's the end of the world as we know it, where everyone's a scroll and each side prepares for the final confrontation. All right, well, that's good. That's very dramatic. I had, uh, he, he's got his coat, his patch, and a vial of Avengers DNA. Welcome back, OG Nick Fury. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, so can, mm-hmm. can we talk about that for a second? Like, what is the point? Like, did he change jackets? Does that make, is that significant? Well, through this, the patch whole, on, this, is that yeah. through this whole thing, he's been old man fury with the, the bushy beard and the, the toque, no eye patch. He just, I think it's, it's supposed to be, you know, if you're going to go to war, put on the fatigues, I think is the idea, right? Like by putting on the eye patch, by putting on the, the coat, by, you know. Like, is it a bulletproof eye patch and a bulletproof coat? That's what I was thinking. Like, does the (laughs) coat have, like, technology or something? Maybe. Maybe. Or it just looks cool. Tim, this is where where I said, you know, a quote that should have been in here is, where is my super suit? Yeah, that's (laughs) right. Where is my super suit? It's Frozone in The Incredibles. (laughs) Because it's, like, sort of a, a, a reverse... Mr. Rogers, you know, where like Mr. Rogers comes home, takes off, you know, some stuff puts on <laughs> yeah, other stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a you know, you're getting in the mood, the 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 clothes make the person sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Huh. So this was a um kind of a glue episode as you'd expect with a penultimate episode. It's obviously it's a lot of stage setting. Um Marvel TV shows have had a bit of a track record for not sticking the landing. It'll be interesting to see how this all comes together. But uh, this one, yeah, it just it kind of felt like a tweener, right? It, it, there were some good moments. Olivia Coleman continues to be far and away the highlight of this show. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, there was a couple of good scenes, but it was kind of just felt like 
yeah like between the assassination attempt on the the president at the end of the last episode and the death of uh talos and then sort of segueing into you know finding out exactly what it is that gravik wants and sort of fury preparing for war it just did kind of feel like a bit of a glue episode and not you know i mean i guess there was a couple good scenes the the assassination attempt on gravik is what i had for my pew 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, the hit squad sent to kill uh, Priscilla and theoretically Gaia, since she happened to be there, is right. uh, was also a pretty decent action scene. But it was, yeah, it just kind of felt like a sort of, yeah, more more glue than substance. Mm-hmm. That my best pew pew pew. I think you you mentioned there is I described it as Home Alone John Wick. Uh, defending the house <laughs> right you have stuff all over the house uh, the little flash grenades and the the backpacks prepared with with guns and but it's well it wasn't nick fury's house too violent. i mean come on yeah, yeah. It, is, it was a little bit more violent like john wick but it's like a home alone john wick combo i think i always find it really surprising in these scenes like Gaia and Priscilla are just standing in the kitchen having a conversation when the teapot next to them gets shot and they jump behind the counter. When when you are there to kill someone and you've got a like a long range rifle, how do you miss? Like you have the element of surprise. They're standing in plain sight in front of a window. I get that it's good, you know, dramatic storytelling to be like, oh, they just narrowly escaped. But like, come on, man! If you're gonna send well, a kill think, squad. Uh... We've talked about it before. Those stormtrooper helmets are hard to see through, right? Well, and you know what? You can't. You get what you pay for with a kill squad, really. I feel like people are just not paying for top quality kill squads anymore. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Residuals. That's what, you to, gets, that's what gets take, them coming back. Residuals. It's the tools. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They don't take the time to properly calibrate their their uh, their guns. <laughs> the, like they uh, like, line the sights. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what movie is that? <laughs> it was the uh, the movie with Richard. Not Roundtree? Is it Richard Roundtree? But the sights are off? No. There was, no, there's a movie about an assassin who oh, has to shoot Charles de Gaulle, and he has this rifle. The jackal? He puts it, a, the Day of the Jackal. Yeah, the Day original the Day of the Jackal. Yeah. 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 They, yeah, that that's a great movie, and, and he even the scene where he he hangs a, a grapefruit from a tree like miles away, and then you know takes a shot, and then looks how far he missed it by, and takes a little screwdriver and does it like a quarter turn, and adjust the the aim right yeah they don't take time to do that anymore in shows i guess <laughs> they just take a gun and shoot it right yeah you know everybody just wants to spray bullets across the room and hope they hit something and think it's an art to actually shoot something and hit it you know i guess i don't know yeah i thought the yeah, uh, we, should, we shouldn't make light of that we shouldn't make light of that somebody was shot just around the corner from my house last week and as an innocent bystander but anyway um, The assassination attempt scene I thought was really interesting. You know, we've been watching this character, Beto, uh, who is the the black uh, scroll who wears the the ear flap hat. And so very distinctive. And he's as these missions have been going on, you can tell that he is sort of, you know, questioning, you know, oh, you know, this is pretty messed up. You know, how far are we going here? And then in this one, at the very beginning of the episode, we see uh, Gravik kills Pagon who's his sort of right-hand guy for for questioning him. And then that spurs this group of, of Skrulls who are like, okay, we're all going to, like, bum-rush uh, yeah. Gravik and try Gravik. and kill him. Of course, Gravik's already got the super scroll powers, so that was a pretty poor choice. Which leads me to my question, the big question. Like, 
one person, one bullet. Again, I know I don't want to make light of of gun violence, but like if you're going to go after the guy who's got the super healing powers and you know that he's got the super healing powers is the idea we have to try and like suffocate him because that's the only thing you can kill him because you can't shoot him. I'm thinking it still is probably an advantage to put like 30, 40 bullets in the back of his head before you try and suffocate what's left of him. I, I just thought that was pretty weak sauce. And again, in the moment there where he like kills Beto, I thought, well, was was that what we? That's why we had that character from the first episode on questioning, making decisions, so that he could finally be like, okay, I've got the stones, I'm going to stand up to him to only have Gravik kill him. I just felt like that was again a bit of a weak, a weak arc for that character. Yeah, especially since they were, they had been developing all, him for all that time, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I thought maybe it was going to come around where like, yeah, Gravik would corner Gaia and he might you know decide to do the right thing or so. like I thought there was going to be a good arc. And again, the fact that he finally does stand up to Gravik is one thing, but like that in a minute and thirty seconds after standing up for himself, he's dead is not exactly an inspiring thing. I guess he's supposed to be like, well, the only person that can stop Gravik is Fury, but I don't know. Just thought that was kind of weak. Um, Easter egg. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw the same thing. So uh, Rick Mason showed up in this. Um, so uh, that was the character we saw. He's the pilot in Black Widow. He's the one that's flying uh, the the two widows around at the end. And uh, yeah, he's, he's where do we see, where do we see him? He was in Black Widow. He was the the pilot that. No, they, I mean, where do we see him in this oh, show? He's the one when uh, when Fury needs to go to Finland. He gets onto a private plane and there's a guy there sort of standing there and he's kind of, you know, making fun of him. And, and, you know, yeah, I guess if you, if you know who that is, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's Rick Mason. So. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure if it was an Easter egg because I had forgotten that he was the pilot in Black Widow, but the actor is like, like, I just assume he lives in the precise geographic center of Toronto because he comes out in like everything. He is the husband <laughs> of, um, Alfred in uh, Handmaid's Tale and he's been yep. in like a bazillion other things. Like, oh, him, like you yeah, need a Canadian yeah. actor who looks kind of like that. That's the dude you call up. <laughs> okay. In <laughs> right? fairness, he's British. His name's O.T. Fegbiani. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Whoa. He's British. He keeps showing uh, up in all these, uh, uh, you know, made in Toronto stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, he's, uh, he's actually, uh, he's, he's not ours, but but uh, but thanks for the for the love and respect. But uh, he uh, yeah no he's actually British um, and yeah he's been he's been in a lot of different things. You're right, Jaime. He's one of those that guys where you're like I don't necessarily know his name. I, I I had to look and remind myself. I knew I knew him, but I couldn't remember his name until I looked it up yesterday. But uh, so yeah. he's Alfred's husband in Handmaid's Tale. Yep, he's Luke. Oh that right? guy. Okay. Oh yeah. that guy. Yeah. yeah. That guy. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And again, he's he's in like two or three scenes in in Black Widow. Um, he's the pilot that takes them from place to place, and yeah, so yeah, just a little 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 callback, little Easter egg in there for you for for people who are so into it, they remember all the scenes from Black Widow. Um, quotes, 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 quotes. Uh, I thought this was a poignant one from Fury. Talos chose the path of struggle; he did not lose. I thought that was very uh, poignant. Um, and Fallsworth just, I mean, Olivia Coleman, my God, what a great actress. <laughs> Would you like to be me? I'm staggeringly versatile to give you a couple of examples. I'm very good at being your bestie. I'm also devilish, devilishly good at not being your bestie. It's really just a matter of taste cake or death. Um, the males in my species are very similar. If they're not busy gaslighting you, they're threatening you with murder. That's what all the podcasts are about. 
And yes, uh, that was a good one. And then your line, Tim, I think was the, was the best one. Well, who the hell isn't a scrawl these days? When she finds out that Rhodey is. Yeah, I'm surprised that she didn't know that Rhodey, because that's the kind of thing she would kind of know, right? That's the sa- I had the same thought. I was like, it's so funny because she's, you know, she had deduced that the the director of SIS was was a scroll and and confronts and and puts a bullet in his leg. She has been the the sharpest knife in this whole drawer. It seemed kind of strange, but then I suppose if you look at it, she would have had probably no interactions with Rhodey. So, you know, I guess she could have probably figured there was somebody close to the president, but. There's no real reason to assume why she would know that unless an informant gave her that information, whereas Fury's obviously been like face to face with with Reptile Rhodey a few times, right? Lots of great, great quotes there. Uh, The one I have was um, the SIS has no official policy on killing squirrels. So if you don't want me to go with my personal preference, then you'd better start talking. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's just the the, the quips are coming out fast and furious. (laughs) Oh, she's again, she's delight because she's playing this like clearly sociopath, but with just glee. And, you know, in these bright colors and with this beautiful sparkle in her eye again. She's really talented. It just she just jumps out of, off the screen. Um, so this was the penultimate episode last week. Uh, sorry, next week is the finale. It's been a bit of an uneven series. I can't say it's it's my favorite of the Marvel Disney Plus TV shows so far. Obviously, you know I don't want to render a judgment before we get to the end, but I I do want to ask you both: Do you have high hopes that this will land satisfactorily? I mean, again, it's Gravic versus Fury. Uh, you know, it's the showdown episode. I mean, a lot of pew, pew, pew. Do you feel like they can they can land this in a way that's going to redeem and or make you feel like this was a, a better than average show? Yeah, I don't know. The, the whole MacGuffin of the, the Marvel DNA, I wonder what the application of that's going to be. Just are they going to turn on, like, make Super Avengers to take on the Super Scrolls? That sounds kind of a convenient mechanism, right? Don't know. Yeah. The part I don't understand is why why actually bring the vial? Like, if, yeah, you're gonna, yeah. if you're going to go and have a showdown with this guy, if you're going to go in guns a blazing, why do you actually need to have the harvest? Why not just... Yeah, and what was what was the deal with that tombstone? Like, why did it have to be so complicated? And, like, <laughs> what is the purpose of that? Like, you know? For the record, uh, Tim, should I uh, pass before you? I would like my tombstone to have uh, some kind of special device hidden inside. That, that I have to blow on? or Yeah, look, for sure. Or use your retinal scan. Optical recognition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll make a note of that. Yeah. Even just mm-hmm. something with a speaker in it that just plays nonstop loop of Spotcast episodes. Sure. Oh, that, that would be good. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. What, um, yeah, or, or a non-stop loop of Jaime saying, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's um, what's going to be on his epitaph, right? I think we need to put a motion sensor on Jaime's uh, tombstone one day. Every time somebody walks by, how's it going? <laughs> what? what? Who said that? <laughs> With the, uh, the breathalyzer you know, vault that opens up. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right, Jaime, my, how, how my, about you? My big question was kind of related to y'all's wondering, like, why bring the vial? And I was wondering here, like, how will Fury kill or stop Gravik? Is it going to be an overactive mix of all the Avengers DNA of, like, you want to eat, then eat until you're you're bursting at the seams? Is that what's going to happen? Because otherwise it feels like it'd be better to destroy the vial uh, and take your chances. And it's one of those ampules where, where you have to break the top to open it, right? And then mm-hmm. you can't seal it back up once you're done, right? So it's a one-and-done yeah, application. Yeah. 
seemed kind of silly. Is, is that like salad dressing? Have they got all the ingredients in there? Do you just like, you know, take a snoot from yeah. that and all of a sudden you've got all the DNA? Like, what's what's the point? Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's magic um, DNA, right? Like, it's going to convert, convert your, your DNA strands into a super Avenger, right? I guess. I guess. We'll see. I don't know. I, I hope I hope they can stick the landing, but uh, I'm a little nervous because this has been a pretty. The question is when you, when you drink this stuff, which Thor do you become? <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully, the one in the good movies. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to a watch list. Hami, uh, you're up first for a change. Yeah, um, I, I need to take a look at see where this is available in Canada, if at all. But here, there's sort of a weird double combo of Cartoon Network Adult Swim, um, specifically having um, some broadcast rights for My Adventures with Superman, and Max having, I don't know, Day Of or or very soon thereafter. Um, but it's a it's one that I think we may have talked about that it was in production. It's kind of lighter fair I, I kind of feel like it's meant for um like people who would have enjoyed avatar the last airbender as kids where you would be sort of not like a tiny kid but you're not really like a teenager either you're probably like a tween it's got sort of that um american anime style influence if it makes sense and the characters are a bit younger it's um you know clark kent is uh you know he doesn't really know who he is but he is aware that he has powers he's starting to learn more about those powers and he's clark kent joining the daily planet as an intern along with um jimmy olsen who's his roommate and lois lane is a slightly older intern new employee kind of thing like like she's been there like a year before or something is the sort of idea so uh, they they really drop a lot of um interesting references uh, very quickly from the first two episode one i just couldn't keep up with the references even without pausing i was like oh i think that's a reference to starro uh the atlanteans gorilla grod um live wires actually in the episode slade wilson amazo cat grant i'm like holy smokes like somebody like really knew what they were doing here and uh if you really wanted to go probably scene my scene and catch all the references for things that they're laying the groundwork for it's kind of um i wouldn't call it baby's first superman because it's not quite that young but it certainly feels like are you getting into this fresh and early what if you have a uh, Lois Lane, that's a lot more um, you know, younger, go get him, hasn't really become the big time reporter. Jimmy Olsen is like really into conspiracy theory, uh, Twitter kind of stuff of like, that's where he mentions some of the weird things like Starro and the Atlanteans. And then Clark Kent as, you know, new guy, new intern who's, you know, like a big beefcake, but doesn't really know his place and really humble. But it's fun. Um, you can see how it's built to be like that kind of show. It has that avatar, the last airbender, the characters will grow and develop along with you. And they start from like, you know, if it was a level one video game, they start at level one and they're going to start growing up, I think season by season. So it's uh, something I think to try out with the family. You know, I don't know that it's must watch television, but it's probably something where you'll feel pretty okay bringing the family in and, and help them understand these uh these character archetypes of uh, superman and etc 
yeah, it's good that they're doing it's it's good that they're doing stuff like this still because I think what gets lost on some of these large uh organizations sometimes is that, you know, it's the old Stan Lee adage. I think I mentioned it in a previous episode. You know, every comic is someone's first comic. Well, you know, every time some kid sits down to watch a cartoon on terrestrial TV, ha 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 ha, uh, you know, wherever a kid discovers a cartoon that's tied to a, a comic book character or something that has the mythology and the legacy of something like Superman or Batman or these characters that have existed for, you know, coming closer and closer to a century, you know, they can be impenetrable. It's nice to give these people access points and places where they can start fresh with their own stories. And yeah, maybe it's not you know, page for page, the, you know, the origin that everyone agrees on, but it's close enough that, you know, it's, it's good to have these starting points. I'm glad they still make shows like this. Oh, it's available on global TV in Canada. Yeah. The, the other one that uh, just watch shows is an Amazon channel. Uh, I guess an add on you can add stack TV. I've never heard of, this is not something I know in the America. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's it's a new. Um, if you if you drop cable, you still can access cable table type shows through Stack TV by getting a subscription. I think I don't know if it's only Amazon that has. Yeah, I guess it is Amazon Prime, right? It says here. Yeah, because you know if you're if you're thinking about cable cutting, and we're kind of sort of kind of kind of sort of there right now um, in my family. Um, Stack TV may be an alternative to pick up some of the channels that we would get with our healthcare. <laughs> right, right. Uh, surprisingly, not available on. Um, apparently, not available through Apple, uh, even though it looks like it's for purchase on Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google Play, and Vudu here in the states. So, something weird with the rights there. I'm sure, you know, to Jonathan's point, since the DC characters are so much like, you know, mythological gods, like you know, Zeus and Hercules and etc. The the getting close for the gist of it and the heart of it is probably the bigger takeaway rather than um being nitty gritty on, on you know decades and decades and decades of comic book continuity. Yeah. All right. So for my my a couple of things. One is uh I've seen this a trailer in a couple of movies. I don't know, I hadn't really heard much about it other than I've seen it in front of um the Indiana Jones movie and the Mission Impossible. It's a movie called The Creator, which is sort of a sci-fi extravaganza. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but if you but if you watch the trailer, you'll sort of get the gist of it. You know, it's sort of a dystopian future world where AI is taken over, and um, it stars Denzel Washington's son. I always forget his name. John David Washington. Thank you. That's the guy. Um, yeah. So it looks looks really interesting. Looks really sort of high tech, and you know, probably you know, be good on a big screen so i'll have to wait and see for that one to come out and a couple of things are tv shows uh bear season two dropped on disney now it's been on hulu uh i think it started weeks ago and i don't know how they dropped it on hulu but um i'm a bit annoyed that they did dropped it all at once like all six or eight episodes are available today on disney in canada um i started I've, I've watched the first three episodes of course because you know it was one of my favorite shows last year but what was good about it last year was they would show one episode at a time even though it had been shown in the states prior to appearing in canada i'd rather have it like one episode per week kind of thing rather than dominate my entire um, I, I you know it's not not a show you want to binge it's a show you want to 
watch and savor and mull about and then and then you know anticipate the next episode in my opinion anyway but uh so sad that they dropped it but i'm I'm happy that it's one of my favorite shows for sure but um sad that they've kind of dropped it the way they did and uh on jonathan's urging i started watching justified justified has become my you know new uh, busy working half paying attention half watching show it's pretty good I'm, I'm i think i'm three episodes in um and i yeah I had, I had seen part of episode two but i hadn't watched the whole thing because i didn't get the whole gist of the story but that's yeah, interesting you know boy comes home you know you can never go back kind of story right mm-hmm. um yeah and and like yeah he's he's sort of a, a gunslinger type marshal so it's really really interesting from that point of view but like i said i'm just three episodes in so yeah, it's but it's yeah, a weird it's mashup of of sort of a little bit western, a little mm-hmm. bit family drama, and uh, a lot of crime noir. Right, so it's even though it's set in in rural Kentucky, it really has like a little bit of uh, you know uh, the sort of Dashiell Hammett you know uh, crime gritty nineteen thirties crime kind of stuff to it. Everybody's hiding yeah. something. Everybody, you know, even the best people are are flawed. But it's uh, yeah, it's a great watch. I, I recorded the first; they dropped the first two episodes of the the uh, new mini series this week. I recorded them yesterday, but I haven't had a chance to sit and watch them yet. So that's oh, that's it's online. on it's on cable TV or something. Or here it's on uh, I think FX. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Um, I just grabbed, grabbed a couple of things. So, uh, Venture Brothers Radiant is the blood of the baboon's heart, which is the sort of coda film that they've done to wrap up. Uh, Venture Brothers is coming out on uh, July 21st, the Friday on digital. It's coming out next week on Blu-ray. Uh, if you're a fan of Venture Brothers, it promises to wrap up some of the, uh, the sort of long long-running mysteries over the series seven seasons um you know maybe we'll even find out who the venture brothers mother is finally um although there was some speculation and some hinting in season seven so who knows but uh yeah i'm uh i'm i'm feeling better bittersweet about this one i'm i'm excited to watch it because i've been a long time fan of the venture brothers it's a it's a very funny very silly uh story and i've really enjoyed being along for the ride but uh, knowing that this is the last bit they're going to do, it was canceled as a TV show. They did get this opportunity to do this movie to wrap it up. Um, yeah, but it's 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 bittersweet to know that this is the end. But also, I'm excited to see if uh, if again, like they can land this plane and, and make it a satisfying ending. Um, San Diego Comic Con is this weekend. Uh, as as I mentioned earlier in the show, it's a very different Comic Con than what we've seen in the past, given the absence of so many celebrities because of the uh right the the strikes that are going on uh a lot of the studios aren't aren't bothering to do presentations um so you know the whole hall h you know premiering a new trailer bring out the cast do all that stuff not not on that front there's not much happening on on that front i think what we're going to get more of this weekend is more um you know we'll, we'll get information about some new comics that are coming out over the next year and stuff like that. I saw something drop today about a new X-Men series that's coming next year. So I'll bring you back a recap for next week's episode. We can uh, talk about the news, but I I suspect that compared to San Diego Comic-Cons of the past number of years, it's going to be pretty subdued and uh, not not quite as as, uh, jam-packed with stuff as we've seen in the past. So 
And uh, I had to put this one in here. I don't know if either of you had a chance to click this link. If you haven't, I suggest you I highly suggest you do. Um, there, <laughs> this was actually announced uh, a couple of months back, but it, it completely eluded me because I don't spend a lot of time at Hallmark.com. But when they were announcing this year's upcoming ornaments, they announced this amazing ornament that you can give to someone as a Christmas gift and or a life day present if you feel so inclined. It is a little diorama of the moment where Han Solo goes into the uh, the uh, carbon freezing machine on uh, in Cloud City, and it's got a button on it. And when you press the button, it plays the music, it plays the dialogue, and then Han standing on the platform descends and to the to the same crescendo of music you hear in Empire Strikes Back and then is raised from the ground and replaced with this slab of Han Solo and Carbonite. It is the most bonkers <laughs> thing I've seen to hang on a Christmas tree in a long time. It is so completely over the top as far as the amount of stuff they've added in here. It's not like it's a hand in Carbonite. It's like, no, it's a whole scene complete with dialogue. It's really, really funny. Um, yeah. I, I at the very least click the link and go and watch the video they've made where they they just press the button and watch this thing go. It is fascinating. I'm totally gonna go to the Hallmark store and just press the button over and over again. <laughs> cool. We can buy it in the stores. I see it's it's uh, unavailable online. It's already yeah. sold out. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This just in. Do -do 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 -do. So our new friend of the show, Keen, who I work with at at Spot Hero just sent me something privately on our slack channel and it's it's the the script for the menagerie right and it starts with uh you know the the, the episode where a spock kid or um takes the ship to starbase uh hang on starbase what do you say starbase starbase 11 right and kirk says to menendez who's the the in charge over there that you know they, they received a sub or kirk or spock received a subspace message from christopher pike and at which point the menendez says that's impossible and then here here's the lines i'm going to read it to you so they they're in the intensive care area he says you know you got to come and meet christopher pike right he says have you ever met christopher pike kirk when he was promoted to fleet captain Menendez, about your age, big and handsome guy, vital, active. Kirk, I took over for him from the Enterprise. Spock served with him for several years. Eleven years, four months, and five days, says Spock, right? Anyway, so this is when Kirk meets Pike after the accident. He doesn't know about the accident at this point in time. So interesting sort of bit of dialogue in context of how they kind of met today, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on, and then this is again where we start creeping closer to the prequel problem. You know, yeah, these are two icons of Star Trek. Uh, Anson Mount is quickly carving himself a spot on the Mount Rushmore of captains, and you know, yeah. you want to see these two characters interact, but you can undo stuff pretty easily by doing that. So yeah, and I remember from from the, uh, I mean, there was a bit of empathy with Kirk and the the future Pike in the menagerie because he kind of, you know, talks to him, addresses him in first, first name and as if he knows him, you know, well, you know, kind of thing. So that's one, one impression I got from, from that um, episode. Right. Yeah. So I guess from, from the point of view of television, it kind of like, you know, Hey, this Christopher Pike guy, and then you see him in condition he is in the menagerie and you're kind of, Oh yeah, I guess he couldn't possibly have sent that message. Mind you could have, I guess, 
I guess in the 60s, they couldn't imagine that somebody who was, you know, disabled could send a subspace message. But we all know today that, you know, with the power of Siri and Alexa and Google and, <laughs> you know, all the accessibility tools we have today, it totally is possible for someone like in that position to send a subspace message, right? Yeah. And at that, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you. Where would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and threads as at JPK News or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash at JPK. So I, we didn't talk about this today, but did you hear that threads has had a huge drop off in use? Yeah, it's not surprising. Again, people jump in, <laughs> but people still don't know what to do with it. So, you know, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, because it's kind of it's it's kind of quiet. I really haven't. I mean, I see people coming in slowly, trickling in, and following me. But yeah, not much, not much going on. I, I don't seem to get any any threads from people. I guess nobody's posting anyway. And Jaime, people are in touch with you. Where will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on most of the things, the Twitter machine, the Mastodon machine, the Threads machine, the Blue Sky machine, the Instagram machine, all those machines. All the AI out there know me as that, that by that name, nomenclature. So until next time, we'll see you in the future, or will we? <laughs> I hope Bye. so. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. On that ominous note. But it will... Well, I mean, will it be really you, or will it be a, an altered universe you, or me, or whatever, right? <laughs> Who Which knows? Kirk are you? <laughs> Who knows? And, and are you real? I guess that's the question. You've been listening to the SpotCast Podcast. This is CNN. What's that? Oh, I just thought the James Earl Jones thing was kind of cool. Oh, wrong show. Right. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the SpotCast website at SpotCast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpotCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpotCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpotCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Are you real? Is this real? Is it really happening? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So what else is new and exciting? <laughs> did you see the, the thing on Massey Hall about the Canadian Hall of Fame? I did. The big mass music induction. People? Does that mean they're, they're, they're going to perform or they're just going to I don't know. Show up and... I, I don't know. I, I saw the same thing and was like, well, I mean, you know, if you're way into 1980s Canadian music, there's a bunch of household names in there, at least if you're up here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't. They didn't really do a good job of explaining. No. Yeah. Like, why would I buy the ticket? Mm -hmm. And that, that's the question I have, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, um, I mean, they did a similar thing like that for, I think, for Joni Mitchell's birthday or something like that. And all these Canadian performers came out and played one of her songs and then she was actually there yeah you know 
Actually, she's on tour now as as um, with uh, that singer. Um, what's her name? You know, Taylor Swift, Katy Perry. Um, no, the Commodores. <laughs> now you can make me look it up. <laughs> I don't know when you say that singer. I'm, I'm just kind of throwing yeah. darts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as soon as I tell you the name, you'll know who it is. Jackson Brown. Tony Mitchell Tour 2013, 2023. Oh, man. Randy Carlisle. Yeah, never would have got there. No. <laughs> I couldn't, I don't think I could pick her out of a lineup. I've, I've heard the name. I don't know. I, she kind of strikes me as like an America's Got Talent kind of singer. Like, she just came out of, I mean, she's probably been around for years and years for all I know, but. I know Belinda Carlisle. Is there a relation? Oh, maybe it says Brandy Carlisle. No, it's what I'm saying. It's, maybe it's like a kid. I, I really don't know. Now I'm looking her up. Look what you did. Wikipedia is kind of funny because it's like not to be confused with Belinda Carlisle. It's like, oh, there you go. There it is. But yeah, uh, uh, Brandy Carlisle has uh, roots in uh, in Washington State, close-ish to Seattle, but not Seattle per se. Um Nine Grammy Awards. Oh, there you go. 2004. I was like, yeah, it feels like Brandy Carlisle's been around like forever, but not not quite Joni Mitchell forever. It it's kind of like you know, Brandy Carlisle's quietly been there the entire time. Like you've definitely heard her songs, but she hasn't been you know like a Nirvana or Pearl Jam level of. Well, I think it depends on your taste too. She's uh, like folk, country, rock, country kind of, folk, yeah, yeah, which yeah. Mm-hmm. not not high on my uh, to do list. I, I don't mind folk, but I tend to short of Johnny Cash. I, I tend to skew a little bit more away from country music. Mm-hmm. I know that's offensive to Texans, but sorry, it's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is she probably could swing way more into like country because country has become more like rock was historically than what country Texas used to Shania be. Twain, Canada's own. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh I don't know. Genre is changing. And... Yeah. Well, I mean, hip hop is the biggest thing in the world now, right? So Yeah, fifty years, man. Times change. Fifty years. They just had their anniversary. What did? Hip hop. Hip hop had a fifty fifty year anniversary. So what? Sixty three. So no, no, sixty three, seventy three. No, sixty three. What? Yeah, seventy three. They said this is the fiftieth fiftieth anniversary of. Um, yeah, they were talking to Queen Latifah about that last Interesting. week. Oh, hmm. Hang on one sec. Seventy three. Uh, I, I, I want to say rappers delight. No, that's not it. Well, Sugar uh, Hill Gang. That yeah. was mid seventies. Jeez. Hip hop fiftieth. Yeah, fiftieth anniversary. Let's see. What does it say? 50 years of hip-hop. Sugar Hill Gang formed in 1979, so it's not them. No. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of... Um, well, it started, it started 50s and 60s in, in the soul Bronx, music and 1960s and 70s funk music, which eventually, like, segued into being hip-hop. So it's all about evolution, right? You know, blues led to soul, yeah. soul led to funk, funk led to hip-hop and yeah. and to sort of spread from there right so mm-hmm. i'm trying to well maybe I just go to wikipedia and get the the gist of it from wikipedia by the way i donate to uh, wikipedia for those of you out there who are questioning if you should <laughs> i think you should 
And I subscribe well, to uh, to newspapers, former newspapers that are now online only, so or online yeah. predominantly. Yeah, oh, it started in the Bronx in the seventies. Hip hop originated anti blah blah blah. What is the first song? I mean, it was a it was the the gaps in the um the breaks right in the in the songs, and they just play with them. Hip hop is often credited to Keith Cowboy. Rapper with Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Oh, Grandmaster Flash. That sounds more right. However, Lovebug, Starzy, Keith Cowboy, and DJ Hollywood used the term when music was still known as disco rap. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I said hip-hop, hippity, hippity-dippy, hip-hop, hop. I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And oh, don't please stop. do That's please the... do rappers delight for us, Tim. Please, please, please. No, no, I can't. I just one thing I can't do. I can, I can sing all kinds of forms of music, but I cannot do rap. Um, but uh, yeah, Sugar Hell. It was Rappers Delight was the first one, and and I remember um, uh, uh, who's the guy with the Q? Um, with the from the drummer with Q. Um, he did, he did a movie last year, and he was um, I think he's uh, Jimmy Fallon's oh, band leader. Questlove, yeah. <coughs> he said people used to go in and ask for the hip hop record. That's mm. how the the sort the name came, right? Yep. Yeah. I mean, Rapper's Delight's an an iconic tune, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's um, interesting. It's weird to reflect on something like that. The time mm-hmm. passing again. I watched that uh, biopic they did of N.W.A. and they were like, "Look at this ancient history." I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna just lie down in a grave now." Talking about yeah. something like that happened in the late '80s and early '90s as ancient history. I'm feeling very sad yeah. about that. Yeah, my friend Darby did that. Um, he won a won a Emmy for that um, show about hip hop on. Uh, I think it's on. I want to say Netflix. Yeah, there was a few competing ones. There was a good one on on uh, HBO. I watched. It was like a four parter or five parter that was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was. It, yeah, it didn't it was Canadian production because. Um, Who's the guy that used to do the show Q again with the Q? <laughs> Darby Wheeler. Hmm. Darby Wheeler. Yep. If he's on IMDb. It is. Look at that. Hip Hop Evolution. That's the one. Yeah. Is that the one you were talking about? Mm, I don't know if it was. Let me see. Yeah. He was the producer of that one. It was on. It was Hip Hop Evolution. That's right. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's the show he did. I think I had two seasons too, right? Cause... Uh, yeah, it was two seasons. That was an interesting one, because it kind of, yeah, it was like overarching subject, but then really profiling these different artists and why they were so influential. It was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. He works with our uh, sometimes co-host, George Lestromolopoulos. There you go. Yeah. That's how I know him, anyway. Darby, that is. Tulio, speaking of rap. <laughs> and next week is the is the crossover episode, too, which is, I think will be a fun one. Yeah. So, yeah, we got four more episodes, and uh, yeah, it's just so we are, th- in theory, our uh, latest chunk of episodes will uh, will be done on the 17th. That will be the last uh, Strange New Worlds of the year. And they haven't announced, uh, we were expecting Prodigy to come back, that's not happening, and they haven't announced a start date. Maybe they'll announce it this weekend as, at San Diego, a start date for uh, Lower Decks, but they have not said uh, when that's coming yet. Right. Typically it does come sort of later August. So I would have said maybe the 24th or the 31st, but who knows? 
and then it's going to start to get mm. dicier mm. and dicier because they're going to start putting out stuff that's already produced but the well will run dry eventually right well we'll have to see mm-hmm. all right well, 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 well keep the chat going on slack next week and we'll we'll figure it out yep where is it right. going Jaime? I'll be going to um, Dallas for uh, a work event. Hmm. It's uh, it's a thing where uh, credit unions are doing a hackathon, and oh, yeah, since yeah. we're a vendor that has stuff, we're participating. So I'll be there helping helping people learn how to use our stuff, and so probably a, a bunch of coffee and maybe some Red Bull or something, pizza. I assume just with general hackathon stuff. And uh, I'll also have a chance to um, hang out with one of my cousins who lives in in Dallas. So that's kind of a nice little uh, nice little way to turn what will be a long work week into something that's a little bit more personal too. Cool. Nito Pichikino. Mm-hmm. I don't know right. what's happening here, but um, right now. F- Facebook. Marvel's gone live on Facebook and it looks like they're showing a new trailer. This must be for part of San Diego. They're showing a new trailer for the Marvels. Oh, cool. On so, the Facebook? Yeah, I just uh, it just popped up in Facebook and there's it said uh, basically said Marvel Studios is now live. So I clicked on it and they're currently just showing this is not the same trailer. This is a very different material. I don't recognize most of this. Mm-hmm. Hmm. This mm. is, yeah, it's long too. Oh, and we get up to the bad guy too. Not the bad guy. The bad guy. Well, it's a bad female in appearance, but... And more Nick Fury. More Nick Fury? I guess that means he doesn't die next week. What? Oh, and look at all the flurkins. Yep. That's a lot of... You tell Xavier I found a, I found a case today that it's, not, it's like 10 or 11 bucks on Amazon mm-hmm. that you put over top of your existing Apple Watch. It makes it look like an Ultra. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Including the it's Ultra like style the... watch bands, right? It's the um, Corvette fiberglass body kit on top of your VW Bug kind of Yeah, thing. that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I saw one of those for sale uh, on, um, oh, what's that thing called? Uh, on the Facebook Marketplace like last week. An old beat-up, uh, you know, beat-up, uh, that's cool. Beat-up fiberglass body kind of, you know, it looked pretty, pretty, pretty rough. It's very strange. They won't let you. I'm just looking at this thing thinking like, well, I can share this. How do I share this? There's no way to share this thing. It's so stupid. With the link? Yeah, I was just yeah, thinking that's like... Why oh. YouTube and Twitter, ironically, are like better options than the Facebook watch stuff. It's so, it's so maddening how bad Facebook is at sharing from other places into it for that or out of it. But if you're yeah. in it, it's easy to share. Yeah, in, but the the crossing boundaries is the tough part with it for some weird reason. Yeah, like, oh, you can't copy that link. For, to hell with you. I'm like, oh, all right, well, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you want to fill your life with is uh, stars on Mars. I haven't known whether this would qualify for the show. That's why it's here and after show. Have you all heard of this American reality competition series? Stars on Mars? Stars on Mars. So the basic idea is you have celebrities put together in a uh, in a competition. The theme is that they're on a base on Mars, so they live inside of a, a Mars habitat, and they can yeah. only go outside with, you know, spacesuits and red sand and rocks and stuff. And it stars um, 
William Shatner as the mission control, ground control, <laughs> who is hypothetically calling them and giving them missions week after week. And right. at the very end of whatever challenge, based on the rules, somebody has to be eliminated. <laughs> so it's kind of... It's kind of fun in a trashy TV way where I'm like, oh, like surprising amount of budget for this reality TV show where like they've got, you know, little robot dogs and pyrotechnics and stuff. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's adjacent to Spockcast material, I would say. Yeah. You know, it, right. it involves at least one or more Canadians. It involves one or more <laughs> Star Trek actors. <laughs> not traditional for sure oh you mean william shatner the guy who used to play kirk exactly. he's been to space sort of <laughs> it's been to space ish and the, the fun thing is that if you watch week after week as i have you can tell that the you know they, they do the shtick of like oh uh, you know ground control mission controls um you know video chat with you is delayed by like 20 minutes or something like it would really be between earth and mars so they can't do live back and forth i feel like that conceit works really well because i'm pretty sure william shatner just did one day of work to shoot all of the different sequences that they needed you know pass or fail for each week because yeah. he never calls out a particular person he just says like hey somebody's got to be limited okay bye oh hooray you all succeeded the mission uh the <laughs> you know the habitat ring is is uh secure you know so I don't, the, the thing that's almost got me as a weird tension is like, what happens at the end? <laughs> Will he finally come back for realsy to see who, <laughs> see who won? Or do they have something sort of generic planned out for that? Like how many days of Shatner did they get? I know it's at least one, but I don't think it's much more than that. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds odd. It's, it, it fits the... It's the junk food of TV kind of thing. Right? Well, Just that's what really reality clear. TV is across the board, right? Definitely. It, it, it yeah. is all calories. There's no nutrition at all in this. So this is one of those shows that I watch when I'm like stressed out for the day. I just need to relax. Just let my brain go like, ooh, yeah, sure. Let's let's watch. <laughs> <laughs> let's watch Ariel Winter and Marshawn Lynch get angry at each other <laughs> because <laughs> they didn't agree on who the base commander was going to be. Be, right? You know, like that's if, you'd, the sort of if stuff. you'd asked me who I thought was on it, I would a hundred percent would have said Marshawn Lynch. It would have been my first pick. It's uh, it's it's quite the quite the set, kind of interestingly. Hmm. I looked at the Wikipedia. I mean, there's spoilers plenty on the Wikipedia entry. I was like, who's this character? I was like, oh, that's right, McLovin. <laughs> oh God, which was one of the sticks of like, Platts, yeah. <laughs> nobody knows what that dude's real name is. He's McLovin. <laughs> Chris Mintz Platts, man. Yeah, he's uh, he's a star of that one. Wait, that dude is American? I thought for sure that was a Canadian. Like, if you had asked me. <laughs> That's just because he's so Seth is, uh, he's in the cloud with Seth, so he must be, he must be one of us. Yeah. Oh. Interesting. All right. Shall we call it? We should call it. Okay. All right. Well, safe travels, Jaime. Uh, talk at you later. We'll talk uh, sometime thank next you. week, and we'll figure it all out. Thank you, thank you. All safe right. travels, Tim. Yeah, you too. Yeah, I think we're talk all hitting the road next week, although my trip's admittedly not that far. On the road again. <laughs> we're all getting in a plane and flying somewhere. My plane will be in all the right. air for less than an hour. All right.
right. Mine will be in the air for two. There you go. Okay, bye. All right. See you guys. Later. Bye. 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 Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.